This is Voices of Texas, the podcast featuring the most interesting Texans you've never heard of. Recording in Midland, Texas, here is your host, Matthew Hinman. Welcome to Episode 4 of Voices of Texas, the podcast about Texans. Thank you so much for listening. And as a podcast listener, you might not realize the time and preparation involved in getting an episode ready each week. In addition, there are expenses incurred like media hosting, uh, new equipment, etc. So please, if you like my show each week, please contribute over at patreon.com slash voices of Texas. You can contribute as little as a dollar per episode, but even just a few dollars per episode helps pay for the media uploads in the website space. So once again, that's patreon.com slash voices of Texas to contribute. Now, I usually start off each episode by saying, welcome to Voices of Texas, the podcast about Texans. But for this episode, I'm bringing in a special guest who is the host of another podcast about Texans. Now, the difference is, though, while I interview living Texans, my guest today, and really kind of my co-host for this episode, talks about Texans of history. And today I'm joined by Michael Zolkowski, one of the hosts of the podcast called Come and Take It. Welcome to the show, Michael. Howdy. It's good to see you. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself and your podcast. Well, Come and Take It is a podcast by Texans about Texas. We focus on the history, culture, and just what we think it means to be Texan. There's been uh, a couple of books written, things like Lies My Teacher Told Me or, you know, every, Everything You Missed in History Class, those kinds of stuff. Uh, and we try to focus on finding a little bit deeper, more interesting story of things you may be familiar with, but uh, to really get to the truth and kind of remind you. And, and uh, we talk about the idea of, you know, how good is your Texas IQ? Because if you listen to our show, I think we can raise it a little bit. Um, you know, for example, we, we did uh, just completed a series on, uh, on Jim Bowie. We did a series on some interesting folks of history. We talk about uh, some of the movies that have been made about Texas history. And uh, we talk about some culture items like the history of barbecue and where we think the best barbecue is and Texas beers and all kinds of interesting things. Uh, and then as for myself, uh, I'm based out of Dallas. I'm an engineer. Uh, and uh, we had this idea of saying, you know, let's let's bring Texas history to the world. And uh, we've been uh, pretty successful and we're very proud of the product. So we hope you guys will check it out and enjoy today's show. Well, I, I really enjoy it myself. And I would, for our listeners, I want to let them know that, that uh, we're continuing to bring them the most interesting Texans they've never heard of. And while we're not really here today to talk about Michael, although you know, you're an interesting Texan in your own right. Oh, well, well, thank you so very much. <laughs> well, today we're bringing you this amazing story that involves a little-known Texan by the name of Colonel William G. Butler. Now, Butler died over 100 years ago, so it'd be a little difficult to interview him on the show. But Michael is bringing us the story about how one man's vendetta shaped the history of Texas and brought about the demise of an entire town. So, Michael, what do we know about Butler, where does, where does this all get started? So we did an episode in the past, and this, it, William G. Butler was known as Colonel Butler. He had uh, came from Mississippi. So William Butler was born in 1831. He moved to Carnes County, Texas, with his parents and his 12 siblings. And when they got there, uh, he met a girl, and they had 12, eight more children. And during the Civil War, then he, he was a soldier, 
and all of that kind of stuff happened. He was part of the Escondido Rifles. He was part of the cavalry. He he was an interesting fellow. He did his part, and then when the war was over, he came home. But that's when his life gets really interesting. There was a time after the Civil War in Texas when the demand for beef in America started to rise. And this was this period when you know, the sort of the romantic era of cowboys, of the cattle drives and the cattlemen of Texas. And uh, he became a cattleman and he became very successful. At, at one point, he had uh, somewhere around 100,000 head of cattle by some estimates. And uh, he he was able to go uh, and he'd drive these herds of, of and he made a lot of money. And he, he had a, a big, large ranch in what is uh, today in what is Carnes County. And uh, but the story of Butler gets a little more interesting than that. That that's just the man and sort of, of what happened. So we fast forward a couple of years, and it's in the early 1880s, and one of his sons, uh, Emmett, the youngest of his sons, was a bit of a carouser. He liked to go out drinking, have a lot of fun. Uh, he'd shoot off his guns. Now, you have to understand at the time, there, the nearest large nearby town was called Helena. And Helena was, and Helena was a, uh, essentially, it was a stop on the road between Indianola, which is a, was a port. It was a major German port where immigrants and shipping and things happened. It's near today's Port Lavaca. But at the time, it was one of the largest ports in Texas. And so before the railroads, goods would get shipped in. They'd put them on ox carts, and there would be these trains of ox carts that would come from Indianola up through Helena and on San Antonio. So it was a major stop. It had you know tens of thousands of people lived there at a certain point, but it was very lawless. It was a very rough area. It, it kind of earned a reputation, didn't it? It had a very interesting and not so positive reputation. And the thing that came out of that was there was uh, one of the given example was the Helena duel. And the Helena Duel was, you know, normally we think of these movies at the time as like, oh, well, I don't like you and you don't like me. So let's take our guns out in the street. We'll, you know, take 20 paces and turn and shoot. And, uh, you know, the Helena Duel was, is I don't like you and you don't like me. So let's take this piece of leather. We're going to tie our left hands together. We're going to take these little short knives that look like a box cutter. They're uh, little one, two-inch bladed knives. And uh, we're just going to tie our hands together. We're just going to go at it until one of us quits or one of us dies. And uh, people would bet on them, and it was kind of a, you know, it was, that's how people solve problems, not through conversation, but through uh, close knife fighting. So in this, and there were saloons everywhere. So it was Christmas Day, and uh, Emmett had been drinking and carousing. Uh, you know, according to some accounts, he'd been visiting the nearby uh, Polish colony of Panna Maria, where, uh, which they were kind of friendly with. And uh, he, he was drunk, and he came into town. And uh, his father, uh, the the colonel, did not like you know he did not like the local sheriff, and so there was kind of some bad blood between them, and there'd been bad blood for a couple of years. So Emmett came up to the sheriff, and uh, essentially, the sheriff was giving him a hard time, so he pulled his pistol and he shot the sheriff square in the heart, and so the sheriff exclaimed, "He has killed me! Shoot him!" And as he fell to the ground, like. Everybody in this town was armed, so Emmett, Emmett's friend threw himself to the ground, but Emmett jumped on his horse and tried to ride away, and he was shot about 40 times. They, they, they were, somewhere around 40 shots were fired by a bunch of the townspeople because this drunk kid had come into town and just killed the sheriff in front of them. 
Well, Butler was on a trail ride. He came back as soon as he heard. Uh, he came to the town, and the myth goes that he rode into town and said, you know, who, give me the man who killed my son. And they, nobody knew who killed him because they all shot at him and killed him. Uh, and at the same time, nobody sort of admit to it. And so he exclaimed as he left the town, uh, this town has killed my son. I shall kill this town. So as he rode away, um, it, it all, we all thought, well, okay, then it kind of died out. But then there was a new town that was getting started nearby called Dalyville. They were doing an election there. Uh, and this is later, about an, this is within a year or so, I think, within six months or a year later. They're doing an election. And so Butler's men are there and in town to, to vote. Well, the sheriff had become the deputy had become the sheriff, and the deputy was a guy named Fate Elder, which I think is one of the greatest cowboy names ever. Uh, <laughs> and he had a big, he had bright red hair. He had a big, like, ZZ Top-style beard, but he had bright red hair. So you can just imagine, like, you know, this cowboy with a big beard on. And um, <laughs> and he was sitting whittling. His brother Bud was the uh, was a deputy, and there was another another deputy who was there. And it was a small little town. It was kind of... Had a mail stop. Dailyville was growing. It's just right outside. Of, and so he was there. And so Butler's men showed up and they're all hanging around on the wagon. Nobody's armed. Everybody's just hanging out on this election day. And two armed riflemen came into town and they were on Butler's payroll. And one of the guys was named Juan Coy. And he's described historically as being an ugly man with the face of a lion. And, uh, he was a, a tough hombre, and I'll, I'll I'll get to an interesting footnote about him. But Coy comes into town, and everybody knew he was trouble. He was a gunman. He'd killed several people, but he was sort of under Butler's protection and one of his people. So he um, so so Elder gets up. Fate Elder gets up, and he's going to walk over to go uh, talk to uh, to Juan Coy, and Juan Coy says, "You know, stop." You better stop, and and he doesn't stop. But unknown to Elder, Sykes Butler, one of the other Butler boys, came up behind him and shot him in the back of the head. And once that shot went off, it became like the OK Corral, but so much better. Um, so the gunfight opens up. All of a sudden, all of the Butler's men who weren't armed are all of a sudden miraculously armed. Butler's there and Elder's down. And so Bud Elder grabs his gun and he starts shooting. And so Bud Elder and um, Bud Elder and William Butler, they get into a gunfight and Bud shoots off part of Butler's ear. Butler gets uh, Bud and Bud goes down and they basically kind of keep their distance and they wait till Bud sort of runs out of ammo. Then they go up and they shoot him in the head. Then the other deputy got shot, but he wasn't, he, he didn't die right then. He was just mortally wounded. But at the time, there was another set of fellows, uh, the Nolans, and there were these two Nolan brothers, and one of their, one of them, their son was a, a boy named Tom Nolan. And so when the shooting started, uh, they were incidental victims that got hit. Uh, but Tom ducked out and barely escaped into the nearby store. As another footnote, the store owner actually got uh, hit in the leg with a shotgun. Um, although there's rumor, historical rumors say that maybe he accidentally shot himself or maybe he was hit by one of the other men. It's hard to tell in these things because it happens in the middle of nowhere, Texas, you know, uh, over a hundred years ago. 
So the fight is going crazy. Everything's going on. And Tom ducks out of the way. Now, as a historical footnote to, to listeners, Tom Nolan may not be anybody you're historically familiar with. But you will know uh, who his uh, great-grandson is uh, the famous pitcher Nolan Ryan. So he's actually – that's what ah. Nolan Ryan Nolan Ryan was named for, for Tom Nolan. Interesting. So, yeah, the Nolan family. So back to the story. So the elders are down. The, 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 the one deputy is down. Uh, Butler's hurt. A couple of his men were hurt, but nobody, none of his men died. So they pack up and they get out of there. They bring in a doctor from San Antonio. The deputy who's been shot tells his wife something, but she will say nothing, and he will speak nothing of the man who shot him, uh, and he dies. So it goes all the way to the New York Times. It's actually made the New York Times. A couple of parts of the story actually made the New York Times back in the day, uh, which is, I think is the judgment for anything being a truly national and important story. But uh, Butler's arrested. The Sykes is arrested. A bunch of them are sort of, you know, well, they're, well there's going to be some justice brought down. But the long story short is, is that after a lot of trials and delays and everything else, nobody's found guilty. Nobody really goes to jail. Uh, the trials were fairly sensational. There was a hurricane when they were trying to do one of the trials, and that kind of derailed things. So Butler basically staged an assassination against the law enforcement community that, that had, he blamed for the death of his son. Uh, and he was wounded, but you know he certainly survived those wounds and was fine. Now, the story gets interesting because a few years later, they're trying to build a railroad from San Antonio to Aransas Pass. And at the time, the Oxcart Road went through Helena. And so Helena just assumed, well, we're a big town, we're important. But the railroad, the owner of that railroad came back and said, listen, we need to secure a $35,000 bond so that we can be sure that the railroad goes through Helena. And Helena said, well, we're too important. Of course you have to go through there. Well, one of the hurricanes had washed out the test lines, so they were going to have to rebuild the test lines anyway. And when Butler had heard about this, he went to the railroad and said, listen, I will pay your bounty or... I will grant you free right-of-way across all of my land with the, with, the, uh, with the caveat that you go as far around Helena as possible. Oh, my word. So when they did this, it essentially caused the county seat of Helena to, to start to dry up. So in the middle of Butler's Ranch, where there was the old, his big mansion was. He had a, a beautiful Gothic style mansion. That was right in the in downtown Kennedy, Texas, what is now today Kennedy, Texas. That's the town where my mother is from and, and her family are from. Um, just north of there is Carn City, which became the new county seat. And in fact, the people of Helena had when they found out they had voted to move the county seat, they hired an armed guard to sit at night to protect the county records so they couldn't be moved. Well when an armed posse came in in the dark of night to get all the records and take them to Carn City, um, the one lone armed guard essentially said, well, I was hired to guard the records, so I better go with the records to Carn City. Uh, so there was no violence. He just hopped on the wagon and they took the records. And it basically became a ghost town after that. It really kind of dried up and died. 
Uh, and as and as a footnote, you know the the guy Juan Coy had probably one of the the best movie deaths of of. He would die many years later in a in a gunfight in a bar. He would get into a scuffle in a bar, and the guy he had he'd had this beef with this guy, and he he saw him, and the guy basically they were going to get in a fight, so the guy got scared. He pulled a gun and he shot him, and they shot Wong Koi one time, and Wong Koi's like, "Shoot me again, you sob!" He you know you can fill in the blanks what he said there, and then <laughs> he shot him again, and he kept coming. He said, "Shoot me again." Bam, and he shot him. So it took, I, I believe, I'd have to go back and double-double check, but I think it's about four shots before he finally died. But uh, he almost got to him. Uh, but you shouldn't ask people to shoot you, I think, is the moral of his story. <laughs> I would think so. And, and you know, the so on our show, and and, I'm, and thank you for listening, by the way. Yeah, this uh, is an amazing story. It, you know, it's not just me on the show telling these stories. There's actually two other people. There's a, a guy named Sean McIver and Scott Elstrom. And we're all friends from college. We're all Texans. We're all interested in the stories. So we try to tell the story historically. We research it. We go back. And we try to give you a, a clear narrative of what happened in whatever we're discussing. And then we spend a few minutes and we reflect on our thoughts about it, things we've learned from family or things that we kind of relate to it. And so that's sort of the second half of the show. And we came away with, you know, this was one of those gunfights where you sort of say, man, like, I never knew about this gunfight, but I so want to watch this movie. It's like, why hasn't, you know, why did they make Deadwood? Why didn't they just make the fracas at Dailyville, which is what it was called? Um, you know, or why didn't they make, uh, you know, why hasn't Clint Eastwood optioned this story and made a, an incredible Western about it? You know, you, you sort of ask that question of why is this, great story of history faded. And I think that's one of the, the things that we've tried to do is, is say is, you know, it's not that we don't, we love Texas, but we want, it's not just about the myths of history. We want you to know the really cool story that happened because the truth is a lot of times more interesting than sort of the myth of things people sort of know and believe. Well, it seems that, that this story in particular, I mean, it struck me when you were telling me the story here uh, just the other day, I immediately, you know, stood up in my seat and thought, wow, this is, this is real stuff. This is not anything that you can make up. And, and, uh, I think telling stories like this, uh, you know, really, uh, show people what real, real history is and it doesn't get covered up, uh, in history books and things like that. Uh, so what kind of other stories have you been able to cover in your program over the, the past several episodes? Uh, what kind of topics were you covering? Well, uh, this, uh, we're, we're up into, we've already put out almost 70 episodes. So we're coming up on the 70 episode mark. We have a new episode every Monday, first thing in the morning. You can subscribe to us on iTunes at Come and Take It or go to brainstable.com. But uh, we've covered everything from, we went back to, talked about the early tribes of Texas, talking about, you know, the Native American tribes of Texas. We've talked about the Spanish occupation of Texas. Our very first episode was, why we answer the question, why is there a French flag at Six Flags? What was what did the French have to do with Texas? And it turns out actually a lot of really deep connections we never realized. Uh, we talk about this sort of period, the the pre the Texas Revolutionary period and those kind of people. We talk about the post-revolutionary period and reconstruction. Uh, we talked about some modern heroes of Texas and interesting history. There's a guy named um, Harmon Dobson. 
You may not know his name, but he's the founder of Whataburger. And he is the most interesting man you've ever heard of. He was an iron worker. He, uh, he dined with uh, kings in, in the Middle East during World War II. He, uh, he was a diamond merchant. He was a pilot. Uh, but he also, he had some amazing values. And his life is an incredible story of just, you know, people are like, oh, read the Steve Jobs biography. I'm like, read about the guy who made Whataburger. If you want to understand about hard work and what it takes to build a business and just how to be, you know, just talk about an amazing intuitive mind. Um, we talked about, uh, we talked about Eric Johnson, who was one of the founders of TI. Uh, and we also do some topical ones. We talk about barbecue. So we talked about a little bit of the history of barbecue, and then we sort of shared our experiences and some barbecue places in Texas. That's my you know, kind of subject. Walk, well, we <laughs> want to line, and we talk about movies, about Texas and things. You know, it, if it falls under the, the purview of Texas history or culture or has some relation that, you know, and we've got some exciting things that we're looking to uh to talk about coming up so i you know i invite everybody to, to come and check it out you know we try to make history exciting and interesting and and really leave you learning learning about something that you just never knew about but you're glad you found out about and then appreciate your reaction to that that's the exact reaction we hope to draw from people listening to our stories well and i think that that's what makes your show uh you know similar to mine in, in that same vein is that i'm I'm reaching out trying to find these interesting people of Texas, but you're you're digging down. You're finding these interesting people of Texas history and really bringing them out and into the into that light. And I, I just remember taking seventh grade Texas history and and never hearing about a lot of the stories that I hear about on your show. So I, I think it's just it's really amazing that you're able to to find this information and bring it to light. Well, there's you know you talked about the lies my teacher told me. And God bless Texas and God bless people who teach, teach Texas history, but there's a lot to cover. And we found that there's things we, and we reflect on this episode, there's things we'd learned as kids that we went back and said, oh, it's a much more complicated story than that. That's a real oversimplification. And it's been really fun to kind of go in and pull the blanket back and really kind of dig into these stories and say, gosh, you may think you know Texas, but now you really know Texas. And having dedicated the time and the research and the effort that all, all of us have in this and producing the show uh, has been a rewarding adventure unto itself. And so we're just glad that we share it with people and people are interested. Well, it's, it's truly been an honor having you on the show today. Uh, well, I, I think, appreciate it, Matthew. Thank you very much. Well, and, and thanks for coming on the show uh, as well, because uh, a lot of people don't realize uh, the kind of effort it takes to to get a guest for a show every week. <laughs> so there's a lot of work that goes into it, a lot of uh, hounding people and making phone calls and things like that. But, uh, you know, I, I truly appreciate it. Uh, so we're going to let our listeners know here that, uh, that uh, my co-host here, my guest today, has been Michael Zakowski, who hosts a podcast called Come and Take It. Available on iTunes and, of course, over at brainstaple.com. Uh, you can find them on Facebook, too, at facebook.com slash Texas Podcast. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. All right. Well, please, listeners, if you enjoy podcasts like this one and like Come and Take It, please show your support by contributing. And I'll see you next time on Voices of Texas.
Opinions of guests, co-hosts, and others appearing on this podcast are not necessarily the views of its host, producer, or affiliates. No part of this podcast may be reproduced or retransmitted in any way over any medium without express written consent of the producer.